Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day in a conversation that brings education leaders to you and political leaders to you. My name is Ray Penny and I will be your host this, this morning for uh, this edition of Conversations in New Jersey Education. Uh, like usual, we'll be taking calls. Uh, and we also will have our chat room open. If you want to participate in the show, uh, Christy will give you the method for doing that. Christy? All right. Now, if you would like to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. And if you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your telephone keyboard, and that will let me know that you have something to say. We'll get your name and number, and we will put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. Governor Christy has made education reform a priority in his administration, something that we've talked about for a while. And he has been pushing a very aggressive agenda to change uh, teacher tenure, uh, superintendent salaries, teacher evaluations, charter schools, school choice, and not to mention how we fund schools. Um, while the governor of New Jersey has historically always had great authority, he does, he does have to work with the other branches of government. In the legislature, it seems that while the Senate has been working a little closer with the governor, the Assembly has been less supportive of some of the governor's proposals. Almost all education legislation will have to go through assembly ed- the Assembly Education Committee. I am pleased today that our guest on the program – uh, Assemblyman Patrick Dighton is the chair of the Assembly Education Committee. He is also an Assemblyman from the 18th Legislative District, which is in Middlesex County. Welcome, Assemblyman Dighton. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, your committee is going to be very busy, uh, I would assume, when you come back from the budget break. Um, well, first of all, tell uh, our members uh, the compromise. You have some new members on the committee this year from last year when we talked. So, uh, I, I find that the committee, unlike a lot of other committees, is a little less political than some of the other. Am I correct in that? Yeah, we have a very, very good committee, and I think all of us realize that the end game is more important than you know scoring political points. So I, I can honestly say, you know, I, this is my second year chairing it, and even prior to that, I, uh, politics has really never raised its ugly head in our committee, and I don't think it ever will. We all get along, and we respect each other, and. We have open discussion, so it's it's a really terrific committee to be on. Uh, as I said in the opening, uh, the governor seems to have a pretty aggressive agenda um, in education, uh, changing al- almost everything. Let's start with uh, his, uh, I guess, his relationship with the uh, teachers, and uh, he's pushing tenure reform. What are your thoughts on tenure reform? Well, I think. Um you know, I'm, I'm out on the stump all the time. I talk to uh, teachers. I talk to, to parents. I talk to students. I visit schools. I talk to just average constituents. Tenure reform is not really what folks are concerned about. What folks are, are concerned about, and I think really think is where the governor should put more focus, and I hope that our committee will put more focus, is removing non-performing teachers. Uh, you probably already know this. I'm, I'm sure folks that are uh, on the blog understand this, but about 40% of the folks that start out teaching, uh, entry-level teachers, never obtain tenure. 
And within the first eight years of teaching, 60% leave the profession. So those that don't like teaching or it's not cut out for them or they're not performing well are pretty much weeded out. It's what... It's that handful of teachers, and I truly believe it's a handful of teachers that, you know, really basically have either tired of the profession or uh, aren't doing a good job that we need to expeditiously be able to remove. And, and I'm working on legislation right now to put in place an arbitration procedure where basically a teacher that is designated as being non-performing within six months would have a hearing and be removed from the classroom. I really think that's where the focus should be placed. It's, again, removing non-performing teachers from the classroom as opposed to doing away with tenure uh, protection, which I think would be a huge mistake, a huge mistake. So, so you support – in general, you, you support tenure, but if there is a problem with the teacher, you wanted to have right. a streamlined position right. so that's you know, a little bit easier. And, and, I, and your point is that there aren't that many of those either. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, if – um, if you talk to teachers, uh, they are the first ones to support uh, removing bad teachers from the, from the class. First of all, it makes their job uh, more difficult. And, and secondly, you know, basically it's not good for the students. So you know, there's, there's really very little disagreement on that particular issue, and I really think that's where our focus should be. You know, the, the business that's being kicked around with test scores and uh, revolving, you know, uh, uh, creating some kind of review panels to, to look at teachers. The, the appropriate person to review a teacher and to give tenure is as it has always been the principal. The principal gets it. The principal sees the performance. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, change the process that, that I think in my mind is working. But what we really got to do is concentrate on it. And that's a very small percentage of teachers that are not adequately doing the job. Uh, Commissioner Surface said, and, and you kind of alluded to this before, um, that it, they want to actually change the way we evaluate teachers also, right. which you kind of touched on a little right. bit, um, that the goal is also not to just to get rid of bad teachers, but also to maybe make all teachers a little bit better through an evaluation, a new evaluation model. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? Well, I think, uh, a, I think uh, the commissioner continues to advocate for the use of test scores as a, a major, you know, that the, the percentage keeps on fluctuating. Uh, all the studies show, I mean, 100% of the studies show that there really is no uh, reliable uh, method in place anywhere in the United States to, first of all, collect the data, and secondly, to be able to use it as an evaluation tool for teachers. Uh, as you know, and, and, and folks, again, that are involved in education know, you could have a history teacher uh, to improve a kid's performance in an English class just simply by inspiring the kid, teaching the kid, uh, you know, good study habits, et cetera. So the, so the test scores would go up in the English class for, but with nothing to do with the performance of that particular teacher. Uh, it could be a teacher from a prior year. Uh, that has inspired a kid. You know, it could be a teacher from a class that doesn't even uh, have reliable test data, such as a arts class or uh, a uh, you know a physical education class. So the whole theory of uh, using test scores as a reliable method for evaluating teacher performance is, is I just think, unreliable. You know, it's, it's sort of like everything else in life. You know it when you see it. If, if a principal is in a classroom, you know a good teacher when you see one. You know a bad teacher, the way they, pref- the way they prepare for the class, the way they prepare their lesson plans, the way they, they uh, uh, teach the lesson. So it's something that, it's, it's not rocket scientist or science, excuse me, it's just basically putting 
reliable, proven methods in place, and, 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 and again, utilizing those to remove non-performing teachers as needed from the classroom. That's, I mean, that's my theory. Um, and though I have a already have a caller online that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, in the Senate, they're discussing the tenure reform bill and it's Senator Teresa Ruiz's bill. Um, now, I'm not sure if it's going to get out of the Senate, and I know it's going to be modified. Is the assembly version uh, going to be heard at this point? I, in fact, I'm working right now on a bill that I hope to drop right when we go back uh, into session. And I hope that our, you know, I'm hoping that it's on the assembly floor for a vote before we adjourn at the end of June. You, your bill, not not the one that's like not Senator Ruiz's. No, no, not Teresa's bill, my bill. Okay. Uh, let me see. We have a caller who I know. Uh, Jim? Hi there, Ray. Hey, Jim. How are you? You have a question for Assemblyman uh, Dygan? Yeah, I, I do want to tell you. We're all glad that the Assemblyman is the chair of the Education Committee because he's really been a, a person who's always been willing to listen to us. And I, I actually want to piggyback on what he said, not only about teachers who impact students for subsequent years, but one of the problems with this is that there are too many problems, but I'll just say a couple. One is that a lot of us don't have much confidence in the in the standardized test they're offering. We know that principals put often the diff most difficult or most needy students with the teachers able to handle them. We're going to wind up penalizing that teacher because those kids' scores don't improve enough. And what really concerned me is, what about a child whose mother has cancer, whose father was killed? What about a kid who's in an abusive home? And and how well are they supposed to do for the teacher to stay on a, in the tenure performance track? Okay, uh, Jim, I'm going to put you on hold. You, we don't have a good connection, but I, I, I think I got the gist of the question. I'm sure the assemblyman did too. Jim, All right, uh, Jim, you, you have absolutely, positively. Uh, I, I'll give you a case in point. I was doing a read across America in Edison Township, not this year, last year. Dr. Seuss. Um, you know, I read the, the uh, story, which, by the way, is always very difficult to read. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, when it's over, you know, little kids, I say, you know, anybody have any questions? Little kid raises his hand. I say, yeah, what, what's your question? He says, my mommy and daddy are getting a divorce, and my daddy moved out this morning. And, oh, I mean, you could you could hear a pin drop. The teacher looks at me, uh, you know, rolls his eyes and, you know, goes over and gives the kid a hug, which, by the way, shows a good teacher. But there's so many factors that can be going on in a kid's life. Uh, you know, if you're talking inner city, I, I was talking to a teacher from New Brunswick the other day. The kids came in on Monday in their neighborhood. There was actually a armed robbery in one of the, the kids' homes. It's the kind of factors that, you know, imagine that was test day. Um, you know, to, to rely on a particular test and to evaluate teachers. And, and, and the other point that Jim made, which is true, I can tell you, sometimes, not sometimes, many times, uh, a, a compliment to a teacher is giving them the most difficult students. So in a way, if you're, penalized, if you're utilizing uh, test scores, you're actually penalizing your best-performing teachers because they're getting the most challenging students. It's, the whole premise, in my mind, is subject to an awful lot of evaluation, and I just don't think we're there yet. Okay, we have a comment from the chat room. How do we plan to identify these indiv individuals, I assume teachers, who are low-performing? So I guess you're saying that that's, this is a very difficult process, and we're not there yet. Yeah, but again, in terms of the, the low-performing teachers, uh, the system we use right now, I mean, if, if the principal uh, uh, 
believes that a teacher is not performing after evaluation, obviously has to be a reason for it, uh, there would be an arbitration procedure. And within six months, there would be a hearing. Uh, I'm not a believer in putting it before an administrative law judge because I just don't think that the, the experience and capability is there. A board of arbitrators, we use it right now. I'm a lawyer by trade. Uh, we use it right now in many, many matrimonial matters nowadays go through arbitration first. Uh, personal injury matters go through non-binding arbitration first. So the mechanism is there. It's working throughout New Jersey and all other areas. So why not put it in place for removing non-performing teachers? And, I, again, every teacher that I have uh, mentioned this to supports it 100%. They, they realize that if a teacher is not performing, they should be in the classroom. And as long as it's a fair, expeditious procedure, they have no problem with it. Would you be interested in that there's uh, some pilot districts looking at new ways of evaluating teachers right now. Uh, would you be supportive of uh, looking at their results at, oh, after yeah. a year or two or oh, yeah. three? I'm not sure how many years. but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in pilots. Because, as you and I know, uh, what you put on paper is not necessarily what happens in the classroom. So, you know, to try it in a few districts, uh, see what works, what doesn't work, compile the data. I mean, that is really the approach we should be using. Let's not presume what is the effective method. Let's just uh, – and, and, and as I always say, any bill that we pass in the legislature, any bill that the governor signs into law isn't the last bill that's ever going to be passed. If it's not working, we can adjust it. You know, the, the whole charter school uh, uh, dynamic that we're going through right now. I mean, when it was originally, the idea of charter schools were originally proposed, there was, you know, a, a whole uh, group of uh, folks that f- felt this was the way to go. But now we're seeing some some challenges, and let's deal with them. So I, that's, that's, the way, that's the way democracy works. Which segues into my, my next topics, where the school choice, which we're being – put out uh, a lot of different legislation on a lot of different aspects. And as you alluded to, uh, when it was passed 16 years ago, it was one world. It's a different world now. Now, Do you think we should take a comprehensive look at the charter school legislation, how yeah. we authorize them, uh, how we monitor them, and maybe have new legislation? I don't mean piecemeal, but I mean more broad. Yes, yes. We, In fact, Al Catino, Albert Catino from Newark is uh, spearheading that, a really great guy and, and really gets it when it comes to education. And I know Al has has submitted a couple bills, and he's really looking at a whole comprehensive uh, approach to it, as is Myla J.C., who's, uh, again, a really good advocate. So I think that's something that all of us agree has to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. The authorization, the transparency. You know, Now they're talking about virtual charter schools. Uh, we, we really have to, for-profit charter schools, we really have to look at the whole dynamic. Uh, and uh, I guess for our listeners, uh, you're a big supporter of also the community having a say as to whether a charter school comes into their district or not. Absolutely, positively. I mean, it is public education. It's public dollars. You know, to, to be proposing a man, Mandarin language charter school in Princeton, which has some of the finest schools in the nation, is simply bizarre. The residents don't want it. It's, it's diverting money from the public schools. It just it, and and as a result, under those that are advocates of charter schools, and by the way, I don't oppose charter schools, but those that are advocates should realize that by not allowing the public to have input, they actually undermine the whole process. It loses public confidence. So I believe that there should be a referendum uh, as as a conditioned president of any approval of charter schools, uh, giving the, the, the voters, the residents of the town, the opportunity to decide whether they want it or not before the process goes forward. I think uh, it makes the whole process stronger. 
Yeah, because there were some districts and uh, school districts in your area that had some concerns, and the community generally wasn't supportive of East, of, the, of the proposed charter schools. Poster child, East Brunswick, uh, Hebrew language charter school opened up. They offered full day kindergarten. The public schools in East Brunswick, as a result of the loss of state aid going to the charter schools, had to eliminate full-day kindergarten. So the public schools now only have half-day kindergarten, and the charter school is offering full-day kindergarten. Something's wrong with this whole premise. So, uh, I mean, again, that's something. But, again, if the community supported it, if it was something that there was a need for, everybody would embrace it. But right now there's an awful lot of um, bad feelings and lack of support because it really leapfrogged over public input, which is not healthy. Okay, we have another caller. Rosemary, how are you, Rosemary? You have a question on charter school funding? Yes, uh, thank you, Assemblyman Dignan. I'm Rosemary Bernardi, and I'm on the Evesham Township School Board. My question regarding charter schools is whether or not you would support, I guess, maybe a commission or something to study the funding for charter schools. Because, for example, in Evesham Township, if we were to open up a charter school, we would actually have to close the school because the funding would have to come from our local budget. But you had the example in Teaneck where you had an, a virtual school, and that could really maybe uh, serve all the residents in New Jersey. So could we look at legislation or a different funding formula for charter schools so it doesn't come out of our local budgets but more at, like, a state-level budget? Great idea. Incidentally, I know Rosemary. She's a terrific person. She she attends every education committee uh, hearing, and uh, I keep on telling her, Rosemary, we got to get you down here. And <laughs> I'm not sure. She might be a Republican, so maybe I better... <laughs> She may not disagree with me either. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. You know, the governor always says it's not about the money, but it is about the money. Uh, It is. Right right now in the state of New Jersey, we are um, contributing approximately three-quarters of a billion dollars less, with a B, in school aid than we were the last year of the Corzine administration. And to simultaneously be diverting some of that money over to charter schools, you know, somebody's going to suffer. And I'm seeing it right now in, in increased class sizes. When I, again, go to visit schools, you're seeing third-grade classes, fourth-grade classes with 30 kids in them. That's not, that's not a good learning environment, while previously it was 20 kids. Uh, so you're absolutely right. The, it, there has to be – we're putting too much cart before the horse. We have to figure out where the money's coming from before we start authorizing schools that are going to divert money from, from the public schools. Okay, Rosemary, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, I just want to follow up on Rosemary's point. Um, One of the ideas when we go back when charter schools were first uh, proposed uh, was that there were supposed to be like learning laboratories where there was supposed to be communication between the local districts and the charter school. And Rosemary's point is well taken that the fighting over the resources kind of creates an adversarial relationship instead of a collaborative relationship. Absolutely positive. So is there a way that we can get this to make it more collaborative besides funding? Well, I think the two, you know, if, if it looks like a duck, it's a duck. Number one, if you're going to get community support, you've got to solicit community support, and that's why I think the referendum is such an important aspect of it. If people buy in, if they support it, obviously it, it's going to make the whole process stronger. And, you know, when, whenever you say something except for the funding, well, the funding is an essential aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than talking about giving 10% uh, income tax uh, breaks, we should be talking about using that money towards the education of our kids. If If... If there is one thing that keeps a democracy strong, it's an educated population. And this continued draining of of, uh, funding from our public schools and also from higher education is not healthy for our democracy. 
And, you know, we, this is the kind of thing we have to have a debate about. Um, related to charter schools, but not quite, is school choice, is uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear so many rumors on that one. I'm not sure. All I hear is it's going to be reintroduced and scaled down uh, once again. Uh, is that what you're hearing? And would that come through I, your I, committee? I do not know if it will come to my committee or not. I can tell you unequivocally. I've, I've never hid my opposition to it. It's vouchers. Uh, I just don't believe that vouchers are the way to go in the state of New Jersey. Again, it's going to divert money from the public schools. Estimates go back and forth, but the latest number I heard was somewhere about $120 million in the fifth year of the program. That's real money, as they used to say. <laughs> and I just have ne- I've always not been supportive of vouchers, and I still do not support vouchers. Uh, if anything, you're going to um, skim off the cream of the crop. They're going to go to private schools, and there'll be less attention paid to our schools that are most in need. So I just am not an advocate or supporter of vouchers, and I, and I never will be, whether it's, you know, whether it's a limited number of districts or not. Again, I'm sure those districts would be the ones that are most in need. So it's counterintuitive to me to take money away from them when we actually should be investing in them. That's that's just my opinion, and I and I you know I have great respect for those that have sponsored the bills. I know that they really their heart and soul is in it, and they believe that it's uh, you know giving choice to folks, especially in our urban areas. So you know I don't I don't question anybody's motives. It's just that I have a different philosophy on it. Um, I have to go from the chat room. There was a question. Uh, a lot of it was on tenure reform. Um, in your bill that you're talking about preparing uh, to, to have the hearings, a different type of hearing for a tenure, uh, a t- different type of tenure hearing, mm-hmm. uh, would there be resources available? Would there be a cost to that, or you? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we've all agreed that uh, you know if we're gonna if we're gonna make a proposal, we have to put in place a, a mechanism to finance it. Uh, so whatever the cost of the uh, arbitrators, et cetera, would be, obviously we could. We could fund that through state aid. Again, I, I don't believe it's going to be that many a year. But whatever it is, uh, you know, we should deal with it. Um, let's also move on to one other choice, uh, another thing. The Commissioner Surf has uh, released a report, education funding report. I'm not sure if you've read it yet. Uh, but it kind of outlines the, the administration's blueprint for um, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and they – Look at tweaking the school funding formula. I'm not sure. Can they do? Is that possible to do without legislative approval? I don't think it is. Uh, I know Governor Corzine made a, a true good faith bipartisan effort to uh, uh, develop a reliable school funding formula. It went through the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court endorsed it. Uh, I realize these are tough economic times, and uh, it may need some tweaking, but. Uh, you know, I, I cannot imagine it happening without legislative action, which would lead, lead obviously, lead to a full uh, review uh, through through hearings. I presume in my committee and also in the Senate Education Committee. Oh. But but I uh, I know there's a lot of proposals around, and I know Commissioner Surf's uh, heart is in the right place, and he's he's trying to be fair to all the students in the state. So again, I have no criticism of that, but. Again, we all know where the problems areas are, and uh, we all know that uh, that's where we have to d- develop and, and devote our, our resources. Uh, I should point out, uh, before you said that uh, when we were talking about the Opportunity Scholarship Act, just because you're the education committee, it does not committee, it does not mean that all legislation will go through your committee that deals with education, because I, I believe in the Senate, the Opportunity Scholarship Act did not go through the Senate ed- 
committee. Uh, correct, correct. It, it, it's really the way it works is the speaker uh, directs the committee uh, to which any bill will be heard. So wherever uh, the speaker directs it, that's where it will be heard. Um, there was a couple of changes that, uh, and I'm not sure how far you, the legislature has heard it yet. The commissioner, going back to their uh, looking at the education funding formula, they want to tweak it in the sense that uh, it's not measured by enrollment. It's measured by attendance. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was some concern about that. I know at the Senate Budget Committee that it might hurt some districts. Has your committee discussed this, or is that going to just be the Budget Committee that looks at that? It has not come before our committee yet, uh, but I think, you know, logically, to me, it appears to be um, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, the the districts that have uh, the biggest challenge with attendance are the districts that are most in need. But the, the caller, I think his name was Jim, who called in, said talking about, you know, the, the issues that kids face with, uh, you know, crime and, and unemployment and all the rest, which is amplified in a lot of our urban districts, are the ones that don't come to school. So you're going to cut the funding uh, in those districts that need it the most. You know, it's the same thing with doing away with the free uh, lunch as, as, a, as a gauge. Uh, I think that's a mistake, too. Uh, but, let's, you know, I don't want to prejudge anybody's proposal. It's a difficult topic. It's something that everybody's been working on. Goodness gracious, going back to the Christie administration. I mean, uh, uh, Christie Whitman administration. Yes. So, um, uh, you know, it, it's just something that we all have to sit down and talk about. Let's, you know, I, I am a big – compromise has become a dirty word in politics. It's almost like you're uh, abdicating your principles if you compromise with someone. Well, I'm a big believer that if you're going to get anything done – Compromise really comes from the Greek uh, root, as I'm sure you're aware, mutual promises. We all got to get together, come up with some plan that everybody can work with. And again, if it doesn't work, as we were talking about with the pilots, we can always modify it later on. But, you know, to just diametrically say, I'm right and you're wrong and this is the way it's going to be, I just don't think that's healthy. Um, so you're hoping that if there are any changes to the budget, it's not done to the school funding, that it's not done through like budget language, that it's a discussion between the administration and the legislature. Ultimately, this is going to be before the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I, I'm sure they might try and do it in budget language, but I think the Supreme Court has made it pretty clear that that's not going to be acceptable, and I think we're going to be right back at square one. So, again, I think using the legislative process would be a wise approach for the administration to take. Uh, I had another question in the chat room. Um, and they just wanted a clarification from one of your earlier remarks when you talked about good teaching is you know it when you get what do you mean by that uh in terms I mean, of the evaluation I mean you know a a a good principal looks at you know there there is you know a template that they use to evaluate a teacher the lesson plan uh you know how the kids are reacting to the teacher's performance is the teacher prepared in the classroom the control of the class if if you've ever done an evaluation of a teacher you know, you know a good teacher when you see it. But again, obviously there are standards that are applied to make that determination. It can't just be some arbitrary, unilateral decision. It has to be based on on performance and and uh, you know, reliable data that the principal collects when they do the evaluation. So, I mean, I am I am a big supporter of the principal being the prime mover of the evaluation of the teacher. Uh, just that it's worked so far, and I think it should stay stay that way. So you're not looking to change, uh, yeah, I mean, we could change the infrastructure all that much. You, the infrastructure generally works. 
think correctly he, in exactly, your view. I, I think the principal, as uh, more than anybody else, knows a good teacher when he's, he or she uh, he or she sees one. We're speaking with uh, Assemblyman Patrick Dygan, who's the chair of the Assembly Education Committee. If you have a question, uh, you can dial 1-347-989-8904 and then press 1, uh, and we will put you on the, on the line. Um, do you foresee, I mean, before we move forward on a lot of education le legislation, we probably will have to come to you, you, the legislature will have to come to agreement on the budget. There's some concern, I guess, from the Democrats on the side of the about the state budget is that maybe the forecasts are a little too rosy, um, and also that we're not sure we can afford the tax cut at this point. What are your thoughts on that? To pro be proposing a tax cut in this economic uh, environment to me is bizarre. Uh, clearly, we're having challenges. You know, just our discussion over the last half hour. Uh, to just address the basic needs that our our kids and our our most vulnerable population has, so uh, you know I, I cannot see a ten percent tax cut, uh, which obviously will uh, benefit the wealthiest taxpayers. The one, you know, Franklin Roosevelt uh, years ago said, "I have a very simple theory about taxation: those that are most able to pay should pay the most." And it appears as though somewhere in uh, the recent debates, that whole theory has been lost. Uh, so I, I cannot imagine that the tax cut is going anywhere. Okay. Um, I'm going to move a little bit back a little bit uh, because it, with tenure reform, and there was a, another question on that. Uh, and t With teacher evaluations, the administration, if you want to give them credit, uh, originally was going to was looking to change teacher evaluations within one year, and now after they've done th gone through the pilots, they have pushed back the calendar to a couple of years, uh, and maybe even more depending on what they see at the end of this year. Um, do you think that's prudent on their part? Because what okay. they want to do, actually, I guess what they uh, the commissioner has said, and I don't want to speak too much for the commissioner, is that he wants to measure the growth in students, not so much their total achievement. Yeah, no, I and that's what we alluded to earlier. That's why I think the pilot approach is absolutely positively the best way to go because then you're collecting reliable data and you can put that into place. So, you know, some things that you think are going to work don't work. Other things that you may feel to be, you ever read the book, The Tipping Point? A great yes. book. Yes, not little thing, Yeah, many little things can uh, can make a large difference that you never even anticipated. Uh, New Brunswick, year, uh, oh, maybe about five years ago, tried a pilot program where they actually put in the school, a kitchen and washer and dryer and some other, and, and what they found is that the parents were coming in, and while their wash was being done, they'd go into the classroom and, and volunteer and help, or they'd start their dinner there, et cetera. A little thing like that really led to tremendous results. So trial and error, uh, you know, hey, try it. If it doesn't work, we can always try something else. I think that's always the best approach. So, I mean, I commend the commissioner on that approach, and I think it's something that we should encourage. This this is a marathon. It's we're, we're not going. It's not a sprint. There's not going to be some magical formula put in place next year where test scores are going to skyrocket in our most uh, challenged districts. It's 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 hard work, and some of the things that have been cut out uh, really t uh, to me are, are again counterintuitive. I mean, preschool programs are proved to work. Kids that you know have the ability to go to full day kindergarten prefer perform better. And these are the things with the budget cuts that are being cut out. Hey, after school programs, even sports programs, uh, uh, 
got arts programs. Many kids go to school just because of the sports, go to school just because of being in the band after school, and these are the things we're cutting out. It's 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 really a challenge that we all have to sit down and, and evaluate and, and see where we're going here. Well, the administration would claim that they have been putting more money into educational. Like this year, they're proposing more, not for every school district, uh, about uh, a little over 80 over eighty percent. 80% of districts will get more money, and the year before they put in more money. More money. So they are and during difficult times that they are showing that education is a priority. Yeah, but that was after they cut. I mean, the, 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 right now, the bottom line is the funding level in this year's proposed budget is approximately $700 million less than it was in the budget uh, the last budget adopted under the Corzine administration. The reason it th- that the governor and the commissioner are saying that it's increased aid is what they did is they froze the Corzine numbers, as you may recall, midway through the year. So therefore, it was only half funded. Remember, they raided the uh, uh, surpluses in the towns. They all the suburban districts. They cut out funding for the end of the year. So they're using that as their starting point. But in point of fact, if you're comparing apples with apples, it's about seven hundred million dollars less in funding. My goodness gracious, the 18th legislative district, my district, uh, the towns in my district are getting approximately $10 million less in funding this year than they did the last year of the Corazon administration. And that's, hey, that's real money, as they say. And it's something, yeah, and again, I, I, I understand we're in difficult economic times, receipts are down. Uh, you know, everybody, folks are afraid they're losing their homes. No doubt about it. We, we have got to... Um, Get things under control, tighten our belts where appropriate, but you know we have to figure out what's that appropriate. You know, if we can come up with hundreds of millions of dollars for uh, uh, that debacle in the Meadowlands, I think we can come up with uh, proper funding for uh, proper funding for education. It's all priorities. You know, the the budget is a moral document. It all has to do with priorities. We're speaking with the Assemblyman Patrick Dignan of the Assembly Education Committee, Chair of the Assembly Education Committee. If you want to ask him a question, dial 1-347-989-8904, and then press 1, and uh, we will put you uh, on the line. Um, The administration also uh, is reorganizing the Department of Ed. I I don't think they have to go to the Assembly or the legislature. Uh, and doing away, not doing away, they're going to have regional uh, achievement centers to focus strictly on schools where underachievement is happening, uh, not school districts, schools. Um, have they updated you, the legislature on that? or No, I, I've read about it, and in theory, obviously, it's a great concept. Um, you know, give support where it's needed is is, uh, is always a good approach. So, I mean, I, I definitely support the concept, and and that does not require legislative action. Okay, um, going back uh, to uh, charter schools, I, I got off that one quick because I thought I, I I didn't want to get bogged down. But um, as we move forward on charter schools, what are your concerns with uh, the one that came up? Be- that's kind of new is virtual charter schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a new – something that I don't think was ever thought of when they originated the legislation. Do, do we need legislation in that area pretty quickly to help guide the, the department? Well, it's, that's an interesting – you brought up a very interesting question because the department um, states that they don't need additional legislation for virtual charter schools, that it was implicitly included in the original legislation uh, I believe it does need uh, legislative action. And again, I, 
I think it's a good idea to have legislative review just so we can all put our arms around this whole concept of charter, of virtual charter schools. Um, you know, is, is this going to become a form of homeschooling? I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a concept that I'm having a little bit of difficulty understanding how it's going to be put into place. So I think we should, at the very least, have hearings on it. And again, I think the department and the legislature should work together. You know, the one thing we don't want to happen, and people, you know, like you're aware of it, but a lot of folks aren't. But you know, a, a significant portion, in excess of forty percent of the charter schools fail. So you get kids into these charter schools, and two or three years later, the schools closing down. Now they're like orphans. So we don't we don't want to put in place something that is uh, not likely to succeed. And, and I just think again, as I talked about before, consensus is the way to go. Let's evaluate the, the concept. Let's put in place uh, controls that will uh, lead to accountability and transparency. I'm not, I'm not opposed to the concept, but, I, you know, the devil, again, is in the details. Well, um, so do you think there's bipartisan support? Uh, from my feeling that in charter schools, there's concern on both sides of the aisle about how we're doing this. So uh, I think there's a possibility that you could have bipartisan support for changes to the charter school legislation, oh, uh, unless I'm reading it wrong, but oh, I see I, your Republican colleagues uh, are concerned too. Oh, I, absolutely! And in fact, the charter school bills that we had last year before the Assembly Education Committee, uh, the uh, uh, multiple authorizer, uh, Al Catino's uh, transparency bill that that uh, we passed in the Assembly last year, as I recall, I think both of those received Republican votes in the uh, both in our committee and on the floor of the assembly. So absolutely this this is if there's one thing that this is not it's a partisan issue. I mean Republicans and Democrats and, and I give the governor credit. Uh I think we all want to see this happen but we want to see it happen properly. Um what's driving the commissioner uh, at least his statements and probably is driving uh, I would guess you is that we have some great schools in, in New Jersey maybe the best in the the country but we have pockets where we're we're not succeeding yep. what is what can we do i mean uh, uh, i know it's difficult but is there anything that we we're not doing that we could be doing i mean it's it's such a complicated uh equation i mean the charter schools no doubt about it are a part of the solution uh um you know, if, uh, if you've uh, visited the Robert Treat Academy in Newark, it's a tremendous place. It gives kids hope. It's well run. I definitely support that type of approach. Uh, but simultaneously, you have so many uh, poverty issues, social issues that also have to be dealt with. Uh, we just, you know, I, there is not a magic bullet. We just really basically have to uh, try innovative programs, give support where it's needed, as, uh, you know, you were just talking about with the Reorganization Department of Education. And, you know, do the best we can, but don't give up hope. Uh, we know certain things work. Uh, preschool programs absolutely work. Second grade test scores were up this year. The reason being, those kids had had access to uh, preschool and to full day kindergarten. And then with the budget cuts, we cut those programs out. So things have been. It's not a hopeless situation. Uh, actually, test scores in general in our urban areas have been going up. And it's just, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years to get the results we're looking for. And there's going to be heartbreaking stories. But, you know, we just can't give up hope and we can't give up trying new approaches. It's, if, if, I had the, if I had this solution, uh, uh, you know, with a magic bullet, believe me, I'd share it with everybody. Nobody does. We just have to keep on trying. And, yeah, be, so open, I... and be open to criticism and be open to different approaches. 
That's why I said if I had all those answers, I'd be a, probably a wealthy man if I could solve all those. Yeah, yeah but um, you'd, be up, you'd be on a mountain somewhere <laughs> with people coming to visit you. Instead, I'm on, <laughs> uh, instead I'm on the web with you. So, uh, <laughs> what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what would you tell uh, the board members? I'm not sure if you hear from your local board members that much, but if they want to get involved in the in the process uh, from a legislator's point of view, what do board members need to be doing? Uh, talk to folks like me, uh, talk to their principals, et cetera. I think I am a, a, a big believer that the boards are an essential part of this process. Um, administrators in general are an essential part of this process. And, you know, again, I think some of the criticisms of uh, the bills that have been proposed, that they have really have not been included the way they should be in, in uh, the various proposals, and I, I think they're essential element. essential element. I mean, again, they're, they're the eyes and ears of the community. And if you start ignoring your boards of education, uh, it, it, you're, you're really basically doomed to failure. They know what's going on in a community. They know the needs. There's a reason they're sitting on a board. Clearly, they can uh, make a heck of a lot more money getting a job at Kmart at night. They're dedicated folks that uh, care about kids, and they should be part of the process. Um, one of the fears that I hear from uh, school superintendents and from board members is uh, that a lot of the pres- – both legislation and uh, regulations that come down seem to be eroding uh, the central administration and putting control in other areas, either the state or at the local school building. Uh, is that a concern of yours? Yeah, that- yeah, man. Sometimes mandates, um, no matter how well-meaning, uh, do to you know put uh, responsibilities on the administration and are not prepared to take, or as a result, they have to make choices. Uh, and eliminate things that they consider to be more important. I, I, you know, I, I appear before the uh, uh, administrators uh, group, and I always say to them, please give me a list of the mandates that you find to be most reprehensible, and let's try and eliminate them. I, I really think that's something that that we should work on. Absolutely positive. Some of them are outdated. Some, you know, I talk to teachers. You know, they'll say that every year they have. Uh, you know, they go to seminars on the exact same topic as the year before. It's never updated. So I think that's a legitimate concern and something that we should address. And I think the governor, uh, another bipartisan area, has looked at some of those regulations. Yep. He has a task force that will be looking at some of those. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And, and I support that 100%. Yeah, um, you'll be coming out right now, the legislature's in a budget break. Uh, when you come out, what will the Assembly Education Committee be looking at first in the first few weeks? Well, I, I would hope that we will have in place uh, at that particular time uh, the, the whole area of, uh, for lack of a better word, tenure, perform, tenure reform, the charter school issues. It's, I, my goal, as I indicated before, is to actually get these out of committee and have, have them voted on by the Assembly before we adjourn. So I'm, I'm optimistic we're going to be dealing with these issues. Another issue that drives me nuts, and I, I, we're going to ask for hearings on it, is the School Development Authority. I mean, we're now over two years into the Christie administration, not one school even close to commencing construction. The cost of that, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, 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 uh, entity is uh, close to $50 million a year. And for the life of me, I have no idea what they're doing every day. And that's really, you know, again, the tipping point, to get back to that book, the the buildings that the kids uh, have to attend every day are important as to, you know, the environment for learning, and especially in our urban areas. You know, we're, we're uh, all familiar with the stories from Newark and Camden and 
Phillipsburg, where the ground was cleared and, and not a shovel's been put in the ground. I, I just really want some accountability from SDA, what the heck they're doing. All right. Uh, we're coming to the close. I'd like to thank you, uh, Assemblyman Dugan, for uh, joining me. Uh, you always have great insight, and you do, uh, for anyone who watches the Assembly Ed Committee, you're very welcoming to all the education partners and to both sides of the aisle. So, uh, And you're always open to listen to the School Board Association. So we thank you. Well, thank you. Keep up the uh, work. That brings us to the end of uh, this uh, edition of this show. And as Christy uh, meant, might have mentioned earlier, if you're one of those people who listens to the recorded show and feels uh, that you want to ask a question, email me a question before the next show starts, and I will try to include it in my program. hope that you all enjoy today's conversation. And as I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. Thank you once again, and thank you, Assemblyman Diner. <laughs>